0: continue our sermon series this morning working our way through the letters of John who I believe to have been the Apostle John the Apostle of Love as some refer to him and we continue that search for hope in the midst of a shaken world as I closed last Sunday I shared how the whole purpose of Jesus' first appearing coming as that babe in the manger, living that perfect life, was to remove sins and to undo the works of the devil. And since that is the case, you and I as Christians must not compromise uh, with either sin or the devil. To do so would put us in a position where we would quickly find ourselves fighting against the One who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen, if the first step to holiness is to recognize the sinfulness of sin, both in its essence as lawlessness, and in its diabolical origin coming from the devil himself, then the second step is to see this, uh, its absolute incompatibility with Christ in His sinless person. I just want to make sure that I'm together with where I think I should be on the screen. Uh, some of the people who watch online say that it works so much better when we've moved this over where they could see the, the screen better uh, watching online. Uh, sin and, and the Christian life don't go together. Now, I know that we're all sinners. John has already said that. If you say that you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. But as I shared last week, it's the difference between whether or not we are practicing sin or we happen to fall into sin as a mistake. And you know what? That's not something new. I don't know how many of you have chosen to go along with our all-church Bible reading plan, reading through the Bible. But we're in Numbers. And this week we read Numbers chapter 15. And if you read it like I did... I was struck by the fact that, verse 22, but if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments. Verse 24, then if it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation. Again, excuse me, again in in verse 27, if one person sins unintentionally. Verse 28, when he sins unintentionally. Verse 29, You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally. Unintentionally. But then listen to Numbers chapter 15, verse 30. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. Do you hear what, what the Old Testament says? Now I know we're living in the New Testament era, but John has already said, "You want to show that you love God? Keep his commandments." Don't be sinning with a high hand saying, well, I know what... I had somebody say this to me. I was sharing with them how the road they were on was a road that led to destruction. And they said, well, I know what the Bible says, but I think, I feel, if God's really a God of love. And it it broke my heart to hear her talking that way. Because this is a young lady that we've known for years through the camp program. The more clearly we grasp these facts, the more incongruous will sin appear, and the more determined we should be to get rid of it. If we would try, by means of an analogy, to understand John as an artist, painting for us with words a theological and historical picture... I think we would have to quickly realize that John only needs two colors, black and white. He doesn't even need any shades of gray. Because for John, it's a stark contrast. In fact, I think we should be recognizing that by now. A major part of John's purpose to supply these tests was to show us the two groups that he recognized. And there were only two groups. There aren't three, nor is there only one. Truth and falsehood, good and evil, right and wrong, God and the devil. They are all irreconcilable opposites. And the second thing I think we, that we need to note is the historical pinning that John gives to his, gives to his message uh, a lock on history. The very first verse of our text today is going to begin for this is a message that you have heard from the beginning. One of the things that the opponents seemed to be boasting about was their new teaching that they had. So John's approach and his appeal here, as we saw back in chapter 1, verse 5, was to the original apostolic gospel, which was also public knowledge in contrast to the private, secret enlightenment that these opponents were saying that they had. John wants his readers, which includes you and I, to know that we will be safe if we hold fast to the message which they have heard and which we have heard. In fact, it's been his concern. Back in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, See what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Now he's expounding ethical and behavioral truth rather than doctrinal truth, but His appeal is still the same. The gospel has not, does not, nor will it ever change. We need to change some of the packaging at times, but we can never change the message. The content of God's Word remains the same. And we need to stay true to it. Now the truth about the person of Jesus Christ and about Christian conduct is also unalterable. And and we must go back to the beginning and to inquire what the apostles originally meant, what they originally taught. Uh, I've been sharing a lot of that on Wednesday nights in our Bible study to say, you know, if you really want to understand the New Testament, we've got to go back and look at some of these Old Testament passages that are being quoted, that are being referred to. But, when John says that we need to go back to what we had and what we heard, he uses a very special tense in the Greek language. It's called the aorist it refers to something that happened at a point in history not a, not a process, but a point point. and he's referring back to Jesus' life and ministry and the teaching that he did that was essential, was an essential and continues to be an essential part of the message and that is to love one another love one another and so thirdly, we need to keep before us what John Stott has referred to as the three tests. With the first test being the moral test. The test of obedience. True obedience. That is, we can know that we have a relationship with God if we are, in fact, truly obedient to His commands. 1 John 2.3 says, And by this we know, we know, that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Being obedient. The second test John has provided for us is a doctrinal test. An examination of our beliefs. Are we exhibiting true beliefs? Now, this isn't one of those things where uh, we're going to be taking a test. Because actually, when you look at the judgment passages in the Bible from Jesus, how does he divide the sheep from the goats? I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was in prison. It was not quote for me second John verse ten not a knowledge test it 's a test as to whether or not we are Truly being obedient. Uh, you know, he, he says, John writes, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. Somebody asked me one time, Do you have a hard time understanding some of this stuff in the Bible? And you know what I told him? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm 67 years old, I'll be 68 in April. I lived in a minister's home all of my life. Do you know what that meant? I was in church every Sunday until I was 18. Did not miss a Sunday, even if I was sick, because my mom drove me to church, kept me in the back annex area, where we could barely see but we could hear. And we still went to church, even if we were sick. When the church had a balcony, we were up in the balcony all by ourselves. I was in college before I ever missed a Sunday of church. Every every sermon, I mean every summer, do you know what we did? Two weeks of vacation Bible school that lasted all day long. A meal provided there. Then it went to one week. Then it went to one week, half a day. We also, every year, had evangelistic meetings. Sometimes they were two weeks. One time we had one that lasted five weeks at a church my dad was at. Everybody just kept coming. More people kept coming. The evangelist said, I'll keep coming back. He'd go home on weekends, come back, and we continued the evangelistic meeting for five weeks. Now, you're lucky if you see churches having mini-series three days. Every summer... From the time I was old enough, this is by choice, because I got to be away from home, went to church camp. When I graduated from high school, went to four years of Bible college, went on to four more years of seminary, two different degrees. Later in life, went back to do my doctorate, and you know what? Jesse can tell you, when we read through the Bible, every once in a while, hit a pause. And I'll say, whoa, whoa, We'll go back and we'll read that. We'll go to other passages and I'll I'll write in the margin of my Bible because it's a new insight. I don't have a problem as much with the passages I don't understand as I do with the passages I do understand but I'm not being obedient to. Are you hearing me? Third test that John went to was the test of love, obedience, true belief, and brotherly love. Now, our message today is titled "Loving One Another," and that's why I'm not going into the brotherly love aspect of the third test because that's where John is cycling us back to again loving one another and our text is found in 1 John chapter 3 verses 11 to 18 let's read it together for this is a message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. and in truth let us not love in word not in other words don't just talk the talk don't just talk the talk how many people do you know that claim proclaim to be Christians We had somebody just recently drop by the church for a conversation, and they were talking about how they were trying to lead someone else to Christ. And as far as I know, that person never darkens the door of a church to worship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to walk the walk, we can't just talk the talk. He writes first of the evidence of love what it proves namely life and then the essence of love what is namely self-sacrifice and whether in Christ whether or not in Christ or in his people that is the truth so first let's look at how he sees love as the evidence of life in verse 14 John begins dramatically in the Greek with the pronoun We, we, it's in what's called the emphatic position. Let the world hate. We do not hate, but love. Moreover, the fact that we love our brothers gives us a good ground for certainty that we possess eternal life. He says we know, we know as a fact that we have passed, we have crossed over from death to life. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death one bit. I don't want to die today because of my younger children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. But my prayer often is, Lord Jesus, come. I'm not afraid of death. Because you know what? I already died. I decided years ago that I wasn't concerned about this earthly physical life. That my concern was about eternal abundant life. And so I buried my old self in the waters of baptism. Baptism. And I rose to walk as a new person in Christ, and so I already died. And because I was born twice, born physically and then born again spiritually, I only have to die that one time. I don't have to deal with death again. But people who have not been born twice, those who have only been born physically, they're going to die physically, but then they're also going to die from what the Scriptures say, spiritually. We know that we've crossed from death to life because becoming a Christian... Now, I'm not talking about coming down front and making a confession or signing a track. I'm talking about dedicating my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Being a disciple, not a convert. True conversion is nothing less than a resurrection or a quickening... John says, out of spiritual death and into eternal life. You and I who are Christians, we are already beginning to experience eternal life. Right now, in the here and now. That's what John said back in his Gospel. Actually, what Jesus said that John wrote about back in his Gospel. John chapter 5, verse 24. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. You hear what He said? Whoever hears My word and believes Me. Believes Me. Not intellectually. Not just propositional head knowledge. The devils believe that. Again, Jesse and I are reading in the New Testament. And again, I am confronted over and over reading the New Testament how so often it's the ones who are possessed by demons who accurately know who Jesus is. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. But... Is their knowledge of Jesus as the Son of God (laughs) going to save them? No. No. We have to not only believe, we have to confess before men, we have to repent, we have to be baptized. I've shared with you when we studied through the book of Acts. Every single conversion in the book of Acts talks about going and getting baptized as a part of that process. Does that water save you? Absolutely not. But it's a part of a process that says, I am willing to put the old self to death and rise as a new self. Jesus said, You hear my words and believe the one who sent me, believe God, you have eternal life. You don't come into judgment, but you've passed from death to life. You know, in the New Testament, Love is a preeminent Christian virtue. We talked about that when we were going through Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love. And all of those words that follow are ways that we can know love. Because in the Greek, when Paul wrote that, the word fruit is singular, it's not plural. He's not saying the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He's saying the fruit of the Spirit is love. How do we know that? Because people who love will have joy, peace, patience, kindness. In his letter to the Christians at at Corinth, that great chapter 13, What does he say as he's closing? There is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of the three abiding graces, which never ends, and without which you and I are nothing. Love is the surest test of having life. Just as has already been shown by John to be the test of being in the light back in chapter 2.10, The contrary is also true. We saw this a couple weeks ago. Anyone who does not love remains in death, he says, just as he is in darkness. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 11. Now in the vocabulary of John, love, light, and life all belong together. And so do hatred, darkness, And death. And I think it's noteworthy that the precise proof of life which he gives is that we love our brothers. Just as the people the world hates is you, my brothers. In verse 15, John proves his point by saying the lack of love is evidence of spiritual death. He's not necessarily denying the possibility of repentance and forgiveness to the murderer. Jesus prayed that his murderers might be forgiven, didn't he? On the cross, what did he say? Father, isn't that the beginning of how we pray often? Yes. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But yet John is stating as a general principle that to take life is to forfeit a life and in doing so, that takes away eternal life from the murderer, unless they repent, confess, and accept forgiveness. Because hate is to be a murderer. I mean... What John's doing here is just a faithful echo of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It is written, Thou shalt not murder, but I say to you, everyone who hates. I mean, he takes it another step. It's not just the physical act of murdering, it's where our thoughts are. Are we already murdering somebody in our minds? So, we need to understand that love, love, is so important to life. But secondly then, I think that having shown that love is the evidence of life, with verse 16, John begins to explain that self-sacrifice is the essence of love. He, He has... Jesus has been perfectly manifest. He has perfectly demonstrated in His life and in His self-sacrifice. And therefore, that's to carry, to characterize you and I as Christians. If you want to follow me, what's Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. You know what? There wasn't a person Listening to him that day, that immediately phew, in their minds flashed a picture of one of those prisoners that they had seen so often carrying the crossbeam of their own cross out of town to be crucified. Carry your cross. Carry your cross. You see, what he says is hate is negative. It seeks the other person's harm and leads to activity against him. Even to the point of of murder and death. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Why? Because his deeds were evil while his brother's were good. Love is positive. It seeks the other person's good. It leads to activity for him or her. Even to the point of self-sacrifice. John reminds us of that When he says, by this we know that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Indeed, it's precisely because he, again, in the emphatic position in the Greek language, he, Jesus Christ, has laid down his life that we know what love is. How far does that extend? I don't know, to be honest with you, if it's because I'm stupid or actually brave, whatever that might mean. But my family knows, without any hesitancy, that if someone happened to come into this building today armed with a weapon, doing whatever they could to harm you. Or if I was sitting in a restaurant and somebody came in with a weapon and was intent on doing harm to people, I would not be hiding under a table. I would be doing whatever I could do to stop that person, even if it meant taking my own life in the process. Love is about self-sacrifice. Laying our lives down if we need to. And by the way, this expression that Jesus laid down His life for us and that's how we came to know love, that's unique to John. You don't find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You don't find it in the writings of Peter. You don't find it in the writings of Paul. But you find that concept Seven different places in the Gospel of John. It seems to imply that laying aside uh, the laying aside of something like clothes, the divesting oneself of something. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 4, that same word is referred to when Christ takes off his garments. So, where do we go in conclusion? You know, as Cain has been given as the example of hate, Christ has been presented to us as the example of love. For many people, life is the most precious possession. Consequently, to rob them of it is the greatest sin that you and I could do, commit against them. While at the same time, to give one's own life on His or her behalf is probably the greatest, not probably, is the greatest expression that we can make of love. And that's why we're given that ultimate contrast. Cain's hatred issued in murder. Christ's love was demonstrated by self-sacrifice. But listen to me. Self-sacrifice of Christ is not just a revelation of love to be admired. It's an example to copy. That's why John says, we ought, we should be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. Otherwise, Our profession to love them is an empty boast. We ought to do this as a definite Christian obligation because we belong to Christ. Just as we ought to follow His example in all things and even walk as He walked. Chapter 2, verse 6. Or just as if God's love for us is so great, we ought also to love one another. Chapter 4, verse 11. Love at its core is about self-sacrifice and self-substitution. And in our case, it is for those who are completely and totally unworthy. Are you familiar with a song by Chris Tomlin called Amazing Love? In that song, here's what he sings. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do to honor you. The late John Stott summarizes it so well. Hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil. It issues in murder and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice and is evidence of eternal life. So let's not just talk about love. Let's truly demonstrate love. As John concluded these verses verse 18, indeed and in truth. After all, Jesus didn't just say something. He did something. Let's pray.